Uh, Al Gillespie, Professor Al Gillespie is an international law expert. He joins us now. Thank you so much for making time for us this afternoon. Good afternoon. Al, do you think that there's a chance that Australia's um, removal of this woman's citizenship might actually be found to be illegal in some international tribunal? No. Really? <laughs> no, I, 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 the, the rule is that you can't make a person stateless, and that means that you can't remove their last passport, but you can remove one passport if they live with another. And so we've seen other countries do this as well. The problem is, is it ends up being a race to the bottom, and it's whoever can act quickest. And then the last person left with the passport bears the responsibility. And the difficulty you've got here is that when you've got negotiations going on between two countries over how to deal with it, and then one country does the dirty on the other, that, that's where it's bad faith. So it, it's just going to, basically from a pragmatic political point of view, it's bags not. Whoever says it first wins. Yes. And, and so we can argue about the ethics and we can argue about the law. And there's a lot to argue about the ethics. But at the end of the day, if the person is left with one passport, that last country cannot make that person stateless. But if the person's got two passports, one country can act before the other one. So what do you think happens next in the case of this particular lady and her children? I think we've, you know, ironically, we've got lucky in the sense that if the media reports are correct and Turkey's decided to deport her and her children, then it's saved us the anguish of a very difficult debate about going over for a voluntary repatriation where we would proactively go and get her and her kids because some other countries have already done that, some other countries haven't done that. It's really divided over what you'll do. But now that she's going to be deported, we are divested of that conversation because she'll be put on a plane, she'll come security all the way back to here, she'll arrive at the border, and she has a right as a New Zealand citizen to enter the country. But as soon as she touches ground, the, the authorities will grab her and hold her to account and bring her to justice. So when it comes to um, the Prime Minister's outburst on this, a lot of people saying that that was bad, that she shouldn't, you know, she shouldn't rile the Australians, but where are you left? You just end up sort of biting your tongue all the time when somebody's doing something you disagree with. Is that what international diplomacy requires? Sometimes it's not even about the merits of the particular case. It's just about a process that if you're talking with something with your partner behind closed doors where you're going to come to an agreed solution and then one of you goes forward and preempt something else, that's where the problem is. And so it's not just with regards to this, it's with regards to a lot of other diplomatic issues as well because negotiations are ongoing and you have to be able to trust the person you're negotiating with. How surprised do you think the Australian government would have been by our Prime Minister's stance on this? I, I think they would have seen it coming, but they would have worked out that in advance. But they also, one thing the Australians are very good at, and Scott Morrison in particular, is reading the polls and there's strong support for this kind of action in Australia. And it's not just with regard to this one person. You can also see it with the deportation of hundreds of other Kiwis who have served time in Australia. Yes, because that's having a major impact on crime in New Zealand. You know, a genuine impact on crime in New Zealand. So is there anything that, that our government can really do to stop Australia exporting people who, for all intents and purpose, purposes, are Australians and exporting them back to New Zealand? And well, it's a we we can do something, but you need a legal agreement in between New Zealand and Australia over the point that they become an Australian responsibility or a New Zealand responsibility. If they get citizenship, then clearly they're Australian. But so many people just get over there and don't, which means that when they fall foul of the law, they can be kicked home straight away. We could get between it and try to work out like what a midway ground is, and we could try to have a a point where we say, well, maybe if you've been there three years, you're 
under three years, you're still Kiwi, or past three years, you're Australian. But we don't do that. Right now, it's just black or white. But it's popular with the Australians, and that's the problem. So the Australians like the idea of getting rid of these people. So what possible legal consequences does this woman face um, on the New Zealand side of things? Or is it it really, if she gets deported here, it's going to be difficult to hold her to account for anything? You've got two sets of problems going on. You've kind of got your higher level terrorism, which is sort of like doing the act, financing terror, recruiting people. But if she did that prior to going to Syria, she probably did that in Australia, which means that their laws will be applicable, not ours. So that's a problem. But the good news here is that New Zealand passed law at the end of 2019 on the Suppression of Terrorism Control Orders Act for exactly this type of problem. So we're really lucky we've got the law in advance. What it will come down to is a judge will look at the merits of the case and the restrictions that could be put on her as necessary and proportionate to protect public safety would be things like um, a electronic monitoring, access to the internet, where she can live, who she can communicate with. Is, is that as a, a, a preventative measure rather than holding her to account for anything? Because that would be trying to hold her account for something several years ago with a 2019 Act is retroactive, and that's judges hate yeah, that, that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you're in a slippery kind of territory here because ultimately you also often haven't got the evidence that you need to convict someone. And all they did was go overseas and join a reprehensible terror group. Would one solution to what we were saying before be that there's an age thing? So that I think for most of us with this case, when you realise that she was six when she left New Zealand, you're like, well, I mean, for goodness sake, you're you're barely a New Zealander. But but if we were talking about, say, someone who was 16 when they left New Zealand, it, it's quite a different story. So if you had an age agreement between countries at the, the age at which somebody left a country, um, could that be something that could yeah. be worked out? You, you could negotiate it, but what, what everything turns on in the story isn't the age, it's the kids. And so, like, if you've just got a Kiwi who went overseas and joined ISIS and got into trouble, most people are going to think, you know, that's your problem, you can do your time in whatever jail you end up in. And you can think of Mark Taylor like that. And yep. if it was just her, people would say, okay, you made a bad call, you read the consequences. But when the kids are involved, the kids are innocent. And we have got legal obligations to make sure that we look after their best interests. So it's the kids which turn this entire debate, not her or her age.